Hey everyone, we've got Hannah here and Kim from Belvista Studios. And what we're going to do today in this video is we're going to share with you two instructional design processes that we think are absolutely incredible. They were, we were saying before this video, they will change your life. <laughs> in terms of your instructional design mm. sphere, like it's really, from our perspective, they're really, really great processes. So we're going to be talking about action mapping by Kathy Moore, which you may know. And we're gonna be talking about human-centered design. And what our team does is we combine these two processes and that makes up our instructional design process. So what we're gonna do in today's video is just to get started, we're gonna show you what that action mapping process looks like if you haven't come across it before. Um, and we're gonna put the link down below in the description so you can access it. But basically this is the action mapping workflow at a, at a glance. So in your own time, have a look, Basically, it just goes through different steps that you can take to help you meet your goal. So, Kim, I'm going to be asking you questions. I'm going to go through our process mm -hmm. um, step by step, and we're going to look at how action mapping and human-centered design is integrated together so that we can achieve success in our projects. So take notes, everyone, because this will have an impact on your solutions. I just got to start by saying as well, I remember when I... I first got an instructional design job. It was the role title. I was never an instructional designer before I got that job. And on my first day, my boss was like, you need to read this blog, which was that blog by Kathy Moore. And he said, that's how we do things here. And ever since that first day, which was like four or five years ago now, like I wasn't an instructional designer. I only learned that. And it made me a really good instructional designer from the beginning. So shout out to Kathy Moore. Thank you for everything you do. It is amazing. We use it every single day on every project. So it's incredible. So definitely master action mapping. Yeah, it's incredible. We use it for real life, like our personal life too. <laughs> but like what actions would we need to take to achieve this? Like we, it's so helpful. And Kim is someone who like, she only does things that really add value to her life and she like always does it so you can be confident that it's like really yeah. valuable if you think <laughs> the way I live my life is valuable otherwise disregard yeah. <laughs> okay so the first step is around understanding what your goal is so that's the first part of action mapping like what is the goal that we're trying to achieve yeah so tell us a little bit about how we do that within our team how do we understand what our goal is well, I think quite often projects don't have a goal and that's mm. the problem in the first place. And it is essential to have a goal. So Kathy Moore's got that brilliant little formula actually on her blog. And it's something along the lines of um, X will increase or decrease by this date when people do X and use that. It's incredible. Mm. When you have a clearly defined goal, it helps you with the decisions that you need to make along every component, every part of your project from the initiation through to the launch. Mm. So we call it a success statement or it could be a project goal. And what that is, is an approved statement. It must be approved by anyone that could say no at any point of the project. And when we have that approved. We co-create it as well, so we're not doing it. And a lot of times clients sometimes will say or stakeholders will say, yeah, here's our goal. But I definitely would want you to ask yourself as a practitioner, do I have everything I need 
to be able to achieve that goal? Or am I able to take next steps? Or do I know what I need to do to achieve that goal? And if that is not the case, you need to answer the questions, like ask yourself questions. What do I need to know to be able to achieve that or close the gap Mm. to achieve that success statement? And if it is not specific enough, it needs to be refined. Mm. So it should definitely include things like, who is your audience? Because sometimes it's not just employees, it's certain employees or it's certain children of certain age groups. So clearly defined audience groups. And then what do they need to do? What is the change in behavior, the performance objective? And it usually is tied to strategic objectives or a strategic plan within the organization. So definitely push back if someone goes, yeah, here's our project plan. We want to launch a code of conduct that people find interactive and engaging. That is not a successful business goal, project goal, success statement. What a better one would look like is all employees, including casuals, um, contractors, full-time, part-time, will complete, you know, so that's how specific you want it to be. Mm. Yeah, it's so useful. And I think the most, like the most important part for me is that when stakeholders come to you throughout the project and they want to like add different things or change the project or do things differently to what you'd originally planned, it really gives you like something that you can refer back to and say like, this is the goal that we're solving. Like we were all clear that this is what we wanted to do and we agreed on that. Can you help me understand how taking the action that you're suggesting is going to help us to meet our goal? Because otherwise I think if you don't have a clearly defined goal, it's very hard to know whether you've reached success and it'll change along the way. And then you think like, what are we actually doing? (laughs) What are we actually trying to achieve? Yeah. It's a very intentional guiding star for all Mm. decisions and it takes out ego and it takes out personal preference because everything is helping you contribute and achieve that goal and if it's not you need to figure out how you can adjust that to help you Mm. or it doesn't have a purpose in this initiative and maybe it's a separate project or a separate success statement that needs to be dealt with differently but not within this one yeah and that's why the approval is so key Mm. because you co-create it yeah everyone agrees on it and then you're kind of like well what's changed because we did this together you know you were there part of that conversation stakeholder yeah so yeah and that could potentially change the scope of the project right exactly yeah yeah Yeah. so that's where yeah it's a scope variation yeah um which might mean an impact on the budget the resources, the schedule. And that helps you have a very purposeful and productive conversation around those things because they can be quite difficult, right? Like if you're going, oh, like this is going to push out the schedule by two weeks or I need to ask, yeah, for more money, then when you don't want to have stress, but if you have a success statement, Mm. which is not tied to people and their emotions, it's tied to a project Mm. and an outcome, it becomes a very objective conversation. Yeah, so it that. gets rid of that emotion around, oh my God, like I have to put push the schedule out by two weeks. Like this is going to be really hard to say. Yeah. But it doesn't when you are able to yeah, use the things that we've just shared. Yeah. It almost like for me, it like sets up boundaries for you. Like yeah, you know how you set that. boundaries in life. It's like, if you don't have a clearly defined goal, you don't have boundaries and people can be like giving you more work or getting you to do more things and you can like find yourself super stressed, staying up late, Mm. all of that. 
But if you have a success statement or a clearly defined goal, it's like, nope, this is what we agreed on. We know this is achievable. These are my boundaries. Yeah. And Love you can be that. like confident about it. Yeah. Not, like push yourself too much. Yeah. yeah. So with the goal, how do you think human-centered design helps us to discover what it is? Um, because I think sometimes we forget that we're designing for human beings. Mm. We think we have a project and we need to deliver a project, but we need to step outside of that role of the instructional designer or the subject matter expert or the project manager, whoever role or hat you're particularly wearing at that time and go, well, who is this going to end up in front of, Mm. or who is going to experience this and what do they care about? And when we take ourselves out of our perception of the world and the perception of our stakeholders or our approvers or the CEO or whoever it is, and we go and empathize, because that's what human-centered design is about, putting the needs of the person we're designing for at the heart of the solution. If we go and step into their shoes and get a feel for their world, it can shift what we're trying to achieve mm. because they have information and they have context that is not necessarily aligned um, to what we've been told to achieve or there might be things that we're unaware of or stakeholders are unaware of so it gives you better context to understand the reality of their world to mm. design something that is useful that will have an impact that will change behavior yeah. So it is important to consider them yeah, because they are the ones that are going to end up doing it at the end of the day. Mm, I love that. It makes me think sometimes it's not always like you might have a goal to help people improve their skills in a certain area, but through applying human-centered design, you might realize it's a motivation factor. So that can completely change the goal. Like rather than wanting to train people on something, it could be around changing people's mindset. So it's just... Yeah. It's incredible how human-centered design can completely change what you're working towards yeah. and stops you from working towards something that doesn't need to be changed. Like maybe they already have the skills and you're spending all this time and money trying to get people to get the skills they already have when it's really a motivation piece. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's very impactful. Okay, so now we're moving on to stage two of the action mapping process. So we'll talk okay. about that. So now that we understand what our goal is, it's around understanding what people need to do to achieve that goal okay so the people who are impacted by the goal what do they need to do differently to achieve your goal so with action mapping this is all around like what actions would people have to take and if you're a fly on the wall what would you see people doing so Kim tell us a little bit about how we use the human-centered design process to discover like observable actions that people need to take Well, I think the one thing you said there was like, if I was a fly on the wall Mm, and I always say that to like stakeholders, because we kind of, uh, maybe this is just me, but when we're doing like projects, we're in a little laptop or a computer screen and we think about text, right? (laughs) What we type. And then we think typing is good and more typing is better. And the more that is there in existence is a good learning solution. Mm. But then I, at some point got this awareness and probably from the action mapping blog is that all of this stuff is available on Google, how to be a better leader, how not to bully. It's all on the internet. So why are people not using that right now? So therefore our responsibility is not to replicate things that already exist. Mm. It's to understand 
what the true problem is mm. and what people need to do. We need to give them something they can see, be a fly on the wall. What would you see people do if they were doing that performance objective, that learning objective effectively? Mm. And the fly on the wall allows people to step out of that text world, a PowerPoint, a Word document and go, what would I see? I would see Hannah nodding in agreement, you know, okay, well, how would I achieve nodding in agreement? I would say something that is uh, resonating, mm. that is tangible for her. So what would that specific thing that I would say be? And then yeah. we'd ask for examples of what that looks like. Yeah. How we get that is we use empathy mapping. So you can just Google empathy map, you'll get a template. But empathy mapping allows us from a human-centered perspective to focus on what would you see people do, hear people say, what would people be thinking, how would they be feeling, what would they be doing? Mm. And we do this, we co-create it because as instructional designers, I think we have a big role to be extractors of the right information. We have a role to be curious um, we don't have to have all the answers. And when we do that, we co-create it with the right people, which may be the people that are already doing the job well, like mm. high performers. Um, also in the room, you can have subject matter experts. So when you do that with them, they go, oh, in the perfect world, if we are creating the perfect human being that did all these performance behaviors the right way, we would hear this specific sentence, insert mm. and capture whatever that is. We would see them have this specific conversation or we would see them do this specific thing, like this actual action. Mm. That gives us very tangible things to work with to then use for our storyboard. So we're no longer going, these are the characteristics of a good leader. Mm. Um, and these are the characteristics of a bad leader. And think about a time when you had a good leader in your life and you had a bad leader. Now think about the kind of leader you want to do. Mm. That's where I think it's like text, where yeah. you, that's on Google. Yeah. If someone wants to be a good leader, they're going to seek that information yeah. themselves and figure it out, like with their yeah. own self-awareness. But when you do empathy mapping, if you're trying to build a leadership course, it's like, well, what does a good leader look like at Bell Vista Studios? Mm. And what are some, what would you say? hear a good leader at Bell Vista Studios say um, I'm doing an empathy map now you would say like tell me what you think about this as opposed to this is what I want you to do okay so there's a difference <laughs> right so this is what I want you to do is very directive. Mm. Maybe there's a time and place for that mm. so then I yeah. seek to understand as the instructional designer is there any times when this I, this is what I want you to do would be a good time for me to use that language because you've given yep. me really nice open tell me yeah which is I'm looking for ideas blah 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 when's a good time when I could say this is what I need you to do uh, as a leader yeah so I would say we're more on like a strict project schedule mm. and you don't have time to develop the person to help them understand the answer themselves yeah so nice. time for 
Yeah. And then the other one is tell me. So you said tell me is a good leadership behavior that you would hear. And yeah. that's a script now that I can use in a scenario. So you mm. see how Hannah's giving me scenarios that I didn't have to come up with. I'm just extracting it because she's the subject matter mm. expert. Yeah. So we don't need to continue it. Yeah. But that's <laughs> basically how that empathy map starts getting filled out. Yeah. And from there, we're creating our content, our yeah. action focused content. Yeah. And I love the fact that you involve the users in that empathy map. It's like, it doesn't always just have to be the subject matter expert and the experts Yeah. by having the users there. I think they can give you really good context. So say for example, the subject matter expert is like, oh, they just need to like text their colleague when this happens. But if you have a user in the room, they might say, oh, we're not allowed to use our mobile phones at work. So that, yeah. like, I understand that that's the best way, but we're not allowed to do that. So we need to think of something else. Yeah. So I think they having the user in the room, which is the human centered design component can make it much more real and make sure that it works for your end users world, yeah. like fits in with their world. Definitely. And I think a good thing, because we, we tend to be information overloaders. Mm. Well, we don't. Sorry, I'm making a massive assumption. I apologize. But um, to move away from information based courses mm. to action focused, mm. which is what action mapping promotes, we run persona activities. Mm. And the value of them is that it actually starts us thinking about the people we're designing for. Mm. So when you do a persona, you can have a photo or I just draw a smiley face and I'll say, okay, we're designing for this person. What's their name? What's their role title? How old are they? Tell me about their lives. What's the, so we do a persona template jump, actually check out our YouTube playlist for human centered design. Hannah runs you through the activities of empathy mapping and persona and others. Mm -hmm. So you can learn about that. But the value for that, when you've got users in the room, stakeholders in the room that are co-creating the content with you, is they're thinking about a person. Mm. They're not thinking about information. They, that allows them, when they're thinking about a person, it's easier for them to think about actions than it is to think about, this is the definition of this thing that we're trying to create. And yeah. these are the legislation and the requirements of that. Yeah. So yeah, I would encourage a persona to be done quite soon after your success statement, because then we're thinking about the person, the people that we're designing for, and then we move forward into things like an empathy map. That's how we yeah. do it anyway. It's weird. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So we've spoken about the goal, mm -hmm. understanding what the goal is, and we've just spoken about the actions that people would need to take to reach the goal. The next part of the action mapping process is around understanding why people aren't meeting the goal now. Mm. So there's a, there could be a reason and it's like useful to find out what that reason is. Why is the goal not being achieved as like with the current situation? So how do we understand why the goal isn't being met using a human centered design approach? Um, we do user interviews would be yeah. some way. So now we've got like five or six specific questions that we ask there and it's around things like, we have the goal, the success statement defined at this time. So we say to the person, the person that is going to engage with the experience, the learning experience at the end, this is our success statement. And then we try to understand, I can't remember the exact questions right now because we have it in a template. So I just normally ask it from that. But um, it's like, help us understand, do you care about this? Yes or no? Mm. And why is that the case? Yeah. And how does that play out here? 
help us understand that and why why are there any pain points I think is one yeah. of them um and what makes this hard for you and you get so much context because they say yeah we're not allowed to have our mobile phones on us but they expect yeah. us to do our learning on our mobile phones mm -hmm. and then so am I meant to do it on my way to work well I'm not using my data to do that yeah and I don't get paid on my way to work I'm watching my YouTube videos or what I care about because this is my time it's not work's mm -hmm. time if they want to pay me maybe that's a different story so yeah. that's a cultural thing that's a shift that's a change in work processes like saying we're going to pay you on your way to work if you're willing to do this however not everyone gets the bus to work not everyone gets the train mm. what about those people that are driving, driving? Yeah. and then are you putting them at risk because you're not supposed to be on your phone when you're driving mm. what if they have an accident how does that play out so there's way deeper stuff it's not just like oh get people to do learning on their way to work yeah so i think human-centered design allows you to find those kinds of things out, the complexities yeah. of the real world. And user interviews are a really good way to understand the challenges mm. and the pain point, pain points around that. Yeah. And you're talking to the people that are directly impacted, that are the organization at the moment is saying, these are the ones that need help. Mm. And go, well, you tell us now, people, why you yeah. think you need help. Because we've got the perspective of the organization, which might be data from HR or other quality data or health and safety data whatever yeah. aspect of the business it's coming from yeah so yeah from that and i think i don't know if it is from action mapping but there's four lenses that mm, it comes I think from it is from action is mapping, it okay yeah. so it's really really good yeah and it you can put it up in a little chart so there's knowledge is it knowledges that make knowledges <laughs> is it knowledge know what you mean. <laughs> that makes it challenging <laughs> is it skills is it culture and environment or is it motivation. motivation? And when you put it from that perspective, this is where, and Kathy Moore has a blog on this, like it's not about like, it's not always training as the answer. Yeah. And this is where it reveals, yeah. you know? Um, so it kind of, you start to go, okay, well, this is all the challenges. How can we think about that? That would serve. I think you start to get the solution starts to reveal itself. Mm. Like, oh, a job aid would solve that. If we had a poster promoting that. Yeah, it could be so then, so simple. Yeah, you move away yeah. from this is a 20-minute e-learning. Yeah. Or this is a one-day face-to-face <laughs> to, yeah. hmm, how do we solve that challenge? It's a skill problem. What would it look like in the in the real world if we replicated that? Yeah. Um, actually, like that's a coaching conversation. Okay, well, our solution needs to now consider coaching as a possible experience as part of the whole solution. Yeah, that's a cultural issue. That's going to take longer, and it doesn't help us achieve our success statement. But we need to flag it to our stakeholders and say this is a big issue. It keeps yeah. coming up and up and up through our analysis. We suggest that you solve this. But we're going to park it for now and that's going to be discussion later on down the line yeah and it's probably a two-year initiative or i don't know yeah that's cool so that brings me on to the next part so the next stage of action mapping is thinking about what changes will help okay and it's around like it might not be training like mm -hmm. you said it might not be an hour or 20 minute e-learning course there's other things that will come up and we get that information through the human-centered design process through speaking to the users running workshops and understanding their world better mm. so I think you've already spoken about it but is there anything else you wanted to add on like what other changes that might come up and like just getting you as an instructional designer to start thinking outside the sphere of it has to be training 
Yeah, I will always promote that we're the extractors of information. We facilitate yeah. a process, which we're going through now. This is our process. Um, we facilitate a process. And if we're curious, we can come up with the best solution because mm. we're not coming in with our predetermined solution, whether that's from stakeholders or us, because, oh, I've done this project before for another client, so it's going to be the same. Um, so with that, again, co-create, it's mm. part of a solution with the right people in the room yeah. and they will give you solutions. You yeah. need to facilitate a process. If you go on Google, you can figure out some brainstorming activities, mm-hmm. that human centered design playlist we have on YouTube as well. Hannah's got some activities that you can run, but if you brainstorm activities with the mindset of, we need to replicate the real world. We need to do this in the most efficient and effective way mm-hmm. to achieve our success statement. That's what you're trying to guide through. That's the framing of your brainstorming to come up with solutions. So that might look like, um, I don't know, if we think about a performance conversation, they can be really challenging because you know there's a confidence thing, but then there's also the skills of opening the conversation questions to ask how do you close the conversation how do you follow it up so replicating the real world is people do that in real life it's a Mm. a conversation between one and another person or more people um and then does it play out virtually now Mm. or does it happen in real life where we're face to face what does that look like? So then you start to think about, okay, well, what are all the ways that that could be? So it's like, um, you know, is it recording like a role modeled conversation of this is the benchmark performance we're trying to achieve. So do we do a video for that? Mm. Or do we have people that are comfortable to have those conversations, which we would have found out in the challenges. They don't they find it difficult. They just don't know how to. So then is it just a tip sheet mm. of this is the five steps of an effective performance conversation, open it with this specific conversation sentence, um, listen, ask these probing questions, seek to understand confirmation that the other person has heard you and agree on expectations moving forward and a check-in. So maybe it's just a simple, oh, like I feel comfortable to have it. I just didn't know how to. Now that I have these five steps on literally a little Word document Mm. that I can print out and keep in my notepad as a leader or a manager for the next time I have to have that conversation sorted. No more one day face-to-face training on how to hold an effective performance conversation. Mm. So that brainstorming allows you to replicate the real world, find the most effective and efficient way to achieve that in a training solution that helps you achieve the success statement. And that's what you're trying to do. Oh, so good. <laughs> there, and I, I think you just need to, you can facilitate that in many ways that you feel comfortable with, but it's just running brainstorming activities. So one, I'm just gonna mention a couple just to help you, but you guys go Google your own. So the CCAF model by Allen Interactions is brilliant for coming up with activities and scenarios. It is context, challenge, activity, feedback. So sometimes what we do is we put that up as a framework for our stakeholders and we say, right, this is the learning objective or the performance objective that you're trying to achieve. So what we want you to do is to 
go as a solo person and try and create a scenario based mm. on that framework. Or you see some of our videos, maybe you've watched the abstract ID videos where we have just a random word generator. And then we go, okay, everyone in the room, the word is house. What is that word inspiring to solve this performance objective or replicate this in the real world? So you're just using stimulus to achieve those things. Boom, <laughs> that's so good. Okay, so you've just been like an, a legend <laughs> and covered like a lot of good things. So, cool. so yeah, it's around understanding what changes will help. Training might not be part of the solution, which yeah. is what you've spoken about. Brainstorming activity ideas. So Kim's just shared some really great insight around yeah. how you can brainstorm um, and come up with ideas that will actually help you to meet your goal. So once you've decided what, so I guess you can talk a little bit about this. So the next part is prototyping one of those mm. ideas. Yeah. How do you come up or decide which idea you should move forward with as a pro? So a prototype for anyone who doesn't know is like a mock-up version of a solution. So you might think, um, oh, it'd be really cool to create like a poster. So you might just like draw with pencil and paper, like a quick version of the poster. Yeah. And that would be your prototype. So you're not putting all of the effort in and completely finalizing it. You're just doing like a sample of what it would be like. Yeah. So yeah, how do you decide which solution to prototype okay before we do that why do you think prototyping is important as an instructional designer because i feel like people want to skip this step okay um so i think it's super I do. important not putting it on you but yeah i'm like <laughs> oh i'm not going to prototype i'm just going to push forward because i think this is the best yeah so yeah so prototyping it stops you from working on something for a long period of time before you know whether it's the right fit mm. so it's like if you spent 10 years of your life writing a book and you every single day you just kept writing and writing which works for some people some people like create amazing books but if you got no feedback and you had no sample to show people within that time and you realized at the end that it wasn't right you've just wasted all of that time yeah. so it's around before putting in effort and time into something confirming that it's fit for purpose mm. and like you find out whether you need to adjust something like your users might give you insight where you're like, oh, I need to do this a different way. And you find that out early on in the process yeah. before you waste your time creating something that's not right. Yes. Do you have anything else to add? Yeah. And you're just not emotionally attached. Yeah. Because you do get emotionally attached. Yeah. Because I love likely that. change, like with feedback. Yeah. I love the yeah. language that you used fit for purpose. And I feel like that's probably more better language that we should use in future Yeah, is around is what I'm creating fit for purpose? And what does that mean? Mm. It's helping me achieve my success statement. Yeah. So if, it, if you're constantly asking yourself, is this fit for purpose? Then we know that we haven't got emotionally attached to creating a poster and we're designing mm. this beautiful thing. And they're like, Kim, like your solution is not accessible. Like you can't use those colors with each other. And I'm mm. like, no, but they're my favorite colors together. Yeah. Um, or like we said earlier, fit for purpose, we would know that people won't do training on their mobile phones because their people don't want to have to do training outside work hours. Work is for work, yeah. life is for life. So then we'd be able to go, is this app that I'm creating fit for purpose? Or am I emotionally attached to the solution? Yep. So I love that language. So keep asking yourself that throughout the project. 
And then, okay, so go back to your thing about the prototype and... Um, so, yeah, how do you decide what to oh, prototype? Yes. Like how do you get to that decision of, like, I'm going to spend effort, a little bit of effort on prototyping this specific brainstorming solution? Yeah, okay. So we've brainstormed and you will have... So much, generally, yeah. Yeah, well, you have more than one. Yeah. Even if yeah. you have two, it's like, how do you decide? Yeah. Whether you have 100 ideas, you have 20 ideas, you yeah. have two ideas, you have to decide. And you have to decide on the most effective solution that helps you achieve your success statement. So how do you do that? You determine criteria and then you figure out what is that criteria for you. So we use an ease and impact uh, matrix, it's called. Just Google that template and it says impact on one little line, um, ease on the bottom, and you need criteria for that. So the impact is that all employees will be affected by this and it will solve the problem 100% or 80% or and you work that out. The ease is, for example, it can be done in a day and, or an hour, half a day, a year, whatever it is. So this figure out criteria that are going to help you decide on what is the most effective and efficient way to impact and achieve your success statement. And when you do that, you're able to plot all of your ideas that you've come up with in the brainstorming against that criteria. And then there'll be more defined intentional solutions that you can go, that's the one we need to focus on for now. Yeah. Because what's happening is all of this information is floating out there. But when you're continuously checking, is this fit for purpose for my success statement? Mm. Um, you're always getting more focused things that you know will work along each step of the process yeah and then you pick that number one thing based on your criteria and run with it until it's either doesn't work or it needs to be adjusted or it hits the mark and that becomes the solution yeah love it just recalibrate remember it's a process nothing needs to be perfect you're working towards the success statement yeah so tell me about once you produce the prototype so an example prototype for us could be like a part of a storyboard, right? Yeah, storyboard. So to help yeah. people understand, like what's some other, it could be like a poster, could be like a drawn yeah. like app, like that you just draw with pen and paper. Or could be just dot points. Dot points. Yeah. Document. Like a rough high level strategy, yeah. just basically anything that's like a rough version of yeah. what it's going to be. So once you have that prototype, how do we go about getting feedback to help us ensure that we're creating a solution that's fit for purpose what do we do with that prototype um the first i think it depends on how many rounds of feedback you have scoped i would say you never want to go past three mm -hmm. um the first one is going to the project team mm -hmm. so they would have co-created the success statement with you they've been in the workshops of empathy mapping they've created persona so they're on the journey so we need those people to validate now how's our prototype is it helping us and you need to put clear parameters on your feedback is it helping us achieve the success statement and whatever else it's defining that you are going i need to know the answer to this before i move to the next stage so immediate project team is who i'd get in the first round of feedback in the second round i'd extend it out to users so the people that are going to be impacted by your solution now it's a time where you go well let's actually see outside of our little project team bubble 
is this helping us achieve the success statement? Are they going to do things differently afterwards? What does that look like? Mm. So you ask them questions as well, but the project team's also giving feedback at that point. Yeah. And then we would rein it back into the approver and a, a smaller team. Because at this point, it's no new feedback. They're just validating that everything captured so far along the process mm. has been actioned and is accurate and ready for launch. Yeah, love it. And I love as well how we're like getting approval at each of those stages. Mm. So it's not like you're going like really far into a solution without even checking. Like we're checking whether the goal is right, whether the actions are right that they need to complete, what challenges are right. Like we're getting all of that approval with the stakeholders. Yeah. And yeah, help, they're helping us brainstorm. So they've got investment in that. And then so you would hope, like sometimes it does happen, but you would hope you wouldn't get feedback where they're like, the whole thing has to change. Oh, no Because way. if Not that does do happen, it's out of scope. Like it's like, yeah. you need to start up a separate project because we've had so, like we've had approval at so many different stages yeah. and yeah, something's obviously dr drastically changed and we need to do a different project. So yeah. it's cool because our process, it's like, we get those levels of approval that make sure that we're not like doing too much rework. Yeah. Which I think exactly. is really useful as well. We're evolving. Yeah. That's all what the it time. is. Like yeah. yeah, each stage we're getting closer to closing the gap. Yeah. 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 And I think cool. ever since we've started doing this process, which we've been doing for a couple of years now, that like, oh, like it's completely wrong, this storyboard or this, you need to change direction. It does not happen. No because everyone is involved at the right points of the project and the stage. Yeah. And with that, they're co-creating it. So therefore nothing comes in that's unexpected. And if it comes, when it comes in that it's unexpected, it's because sometimes they've, they get really excited stakeholders about the feedback and they want to show everyone, but mm. they don't give the right parameters to those pe people to give yeah. feedback. And then the person will be like, Oh, why don't we do blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, <laughs> Well, hold on. If they knew about the success statement, yeah, and then they would know that that's, or if they had been part of the journey, that's why they know they'd know that's why this idea yeah. is not uh, going to help <laughs> us achieve the success statement. Yeah. So for us, like ever since this whole process that we're doing, we don't get crazy feedback. It's no. just like, oh, there's a spelling error here, or it's so um, calm. Yeah. It's not like stressful. No, it's just like yeah, yeah, and flows. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it. We've gotten through the process. Mm. Nice. nice. I loved that. That was so good. Mm. I'm like, whoa. Like everyone listening and watching honestly it will add so much value to your life mm. if you like take action on the things that we've spoken about like it works for us and we have projects with so many different companies and industries and it works yeah so like yeah please listen because is there anything else you wanted to add um i think i'd probably just want to summarize it for people yeah. and like talk about next steps because i feel like it's just Ooh, out in the air okay well i'm going to summarize what like the different stages and then you can talk about next steps yeah go for it i just want to point out actually you i'll do it after because it'll make sense after yeah go on. okay so like just so everyone knows really clearly what we've just gone through so we started off with what's our goal so yeah. understanding what the goal is and solving the right problem we then looked at what people need to do so understanding what actions people would need to take to meet that goal understanding why people aren't doing it now. So like what's happening that's stopping, stopping them from achieving the goal in the current state. Are there any changes that will help? It might be changes related to skills, environment, knowledge. There could be little changes that you could make. Is training part of the solution? So like opening up your 
the way you think about things and understanding it's not always training. Um, brainstorming activity ideas. So when you understand like what actions they need to take and everything we've gone through, what, what are some potential solutions? Using criteria to understand what solution is the best one to prototype. Mm. Prototyping that and then getting feedback on that prototype and letting it evolve into a space where it becomes the fit for purpose solution at the end. Yeah. And I think to summarize that in the world of Addy is you can see that a lot of this up until prototyping mm. is in the A, the analysis. Yeah. And we spend a lot of time in the analysis because it minimizes feedback. It minimizes um, change in direction. It gets people on board. It solves the right problem. So this whole process is what we do. And it is so much time and analysis. It makes the rest of the project so easy because mm -hmm. our storyboard, when we have those empathy map performance actions, decisions, whatever that looks like, we're just massaging that into a storyboard. We're not having to write from scratch. We're literally copying and pasting that sentence and putting it here and then going, oh, that scenario that we brainstormed or co-created in the workshop, that's the one that fits and fleshes out this particular mm. sentence that is really important to help us achieve the success statement or the learning objective. So, and I guess actually that order is success statement and then audience group is in there, but then you're able to get your learning objectives from your success statement. Mm. And then all of the activities that we've been talking about in terms of like the persona, the empathy map, the brainstorming, they are all massaged into your learning objectives. That's how you storyboard. Mm. It makes it so much easier. So you're not just sitting there going, what should I focus on? <laughs> yeah. It's already done for us because yeah. we've facilitated that. So I think don't underestimate the the analysis phase of your project. Mm. And when we think about, you know, the world of product management, UX, user experience design, user interface design, marketing, it is all about understanding, seek to understand human-centered design. So seek to understand the people we are designing for. That's what psychology is about. Apparently when you, I haven't done a psych thing, but like if you go to a therapist or whatever, if I, what I hear on podcasts, is that a lot of the time the person's just listening, 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 listening. Mm. And then the last 10 minutes, they might pipe in, but that's analysis. Mm. They're trying to understand the problem because the other person does the most of the project. So there's so many industries out there that are doing things that spend a lot of time in analysis. And we should as well as an mm. industry, because it sets us up for a better success, a better outcome mm. for the projects that we're working on, but the solutions that our people are undertaking as well and the actual needle that we're trying to shift in whatever success statement we're trying to achieve the problem that yeah. we're trying to solve um so yeah it's it's amazing it's definitely changed how we do things started yeah. with action mapping then we learned about human-centered design now we just combine the two as shared in this and i'm just going to throw out there we teach this in our human-centered design mm. ultimate kit so you can either do it yourself and bring a project and we coach you through all of this or you can join the cohorts where you go through it as a group and you have group coaching and we do this in context to your project so check that out on the creator hub or the link will be in the description but if this stuff is resonating you've made it to the video i definitely yeah mm. i'm not going to convince anyone but if it's resonating just check it out and see if it's for you because this is the stuff that we teach and 
if you like our stuff (laughs) yeah you'll like it as well awesome thanks so much kim and thank you everyone for listening and watching good on you for wanting to improve and be a better instructional designer that inspires us the fact that you're watching this video so you are our vibe (laughs) yeah (laughs) and yeah thank you for listening or watching what's up awesome human thank you thank you thank you on behalf of myself and the Bell Vista Studios team for continuously choosing to learn with us. We really appreciate it. If the tips and the insights and the context resonate with you and you want to take your skills to the next level or you want to make your life way easier, you will love our Creator Hub. The Creator Hub is a place for people like you and us. Basically, it's the stuff that we use internally at Bell Vista Studios and then we just share it publicly with you. The Creator Hub is created by instructional designers for instructional designers. And what you'll love there at the moment is we've got a quiz, Could I Be a Better Instructional Designer? That has so much tips in the feedback if you're interested in human-centered design or just taking your skills to the next level in terms of the solutions you're creating, the problems you want to solve. But in there as well, aren't we cute? That's us. Um, But we've got the coaching courses freebies give us gratitude and also we've got some templates and basically they're always around the lens of learning experience design instructional design and e-learning so a human-centered design focus is very much what we're about at bell vista studio so putting your learners at the heart of a solution and creating something for their needs so there's the human-centered design stuff and then we've also got the business stuff so this is the stuff they don't teach you about when you want to become a freelancer or a consultant in the instructional design world so go check it out the link is in the description you can check out everything that is available for you thank you for choosing to learn with us continuously invest in your skills you will be rewarded as an instructional designer share this stuff share it with other people because when we are better instructional designers we create better solutions that create better humans that create a better world so we have a very important role and i'm excited to be on this journey with you have an awesome day